So as I get started, uh, I, I, uh, in, in your journals, one of the things is, is pretty funny. I came last Sunday to Seattle for uh, Enneagram workshop. I'm sort of a junkie for certifications and appearing credible. And so uh, this coaching thing is uh, relatively new in my life. And so I got here last Sunday. What's really fascinating as an attorney is that if you look in your uh, journal, I've actually become, according to the journal, a resident of Washington. And I don't live in Wisconsin at all. Five days and I'm a resident. I mean, who knew? It's just unbelievable. So today I'm going to talk about um, sustainable generosity. You might think it's kind of weird for the tax attorney to come up here and be talking about not what you have, but who you really are. Um, but that's the direction that I'm going to go. And I think for all of you, um, some of you have heard me before and know a little bit about my story, but for a lot of you, you're new, and so it's exciting and new for you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I actually grew up in the Midwest. I'm originally from Chicago, Milwaukee area, and I, um, the, I'm the oldest and brightest of three, um, and uh, I, I grew up with a dad that really was entrepreneurial and very successful, but it was very clear early on that my brother was going to inherit the company. So I could do anything but not run the company. Uh, the options for me at the time that I was going to school were pretty much threefold. You could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, or you could marry well. So um, I actually uh, went down the education path. What I wanted to do was coach football, and that was not a really viable option. So. The kindergarten thing became the choice. I thought it was so cool to teach kindergarten because you were equipping people to read. And if they could read, they could do anything, right? If you could read, you could teach yourself anything. And I lasted for about two years. I was in a town in northern Wisconsin that was just tiny. And I know for sure I'm an urban girl. And it wasn't a big enough stage for me. I wanted to do something bigger. So I looked at, you know, should I be a doctor? That seemed like a long walk. And then I looked at an MBA, I'm like, I don't know, a lot of men. And then <laughs> I looked at law school, and it was like the shortest, shortest path to what I thought would be economic success. Plus, it would be a great hunting ground for a sire for my children that was more appropriate. Because <laughs> in the back of my mind, this idea of, um, sort of hedging my bet just in case the law thing doesn't completely work out. It would be really good to have a great husband. So I, I met and married my husband. He was finishing a PhD, and um, his PhD, oh, just an awesome guy. He's, he's so amazing. I'm, I love him to death. He's one of the greatest, greatest blessings in my life. I can't believe God gave him to me. Anyway, we had to go to St. Louis for his graduate work. So his PhD work pulled us down to St. Louis. And... Um, when we got down there, and he was pretty well along this PhD track, I got pregnant because kind of my vision was that I would head up the symphony auxiliary and play tennis and use my leadership skills in some volunteer capacity. <laughs> and um, it didn't exactly work out that way. So I'm, a, I'm about halfway into this pregnancy, and my husband comes home, and he says these words to me. Donna, I've decided I don't want to be a doctor. What I want to do is work with wood. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> not, not exactly my, my plan. Um, so uh, I was an in-house legal counsel for a wealth management firm at the time, but that was a fixed capped salary, and with Bill's wood 
pursuit. Um, you know, kind of the, the economics looked like it should have something that had a little more potential. So I moved into really working with and advising wealthy families and advisors on aligning their tax strategies, their investment strategies, and their values to do things that are actually um, aligned with their inside and their outside, that they're taking, they're, they're, they're managing their wealth in a way that's aligned with who they really are. So I grew up, like I said, in a Christian home, and, and so um, this is a noble cause, right? Helping people with money do good things with it. Um, but when you get um, in a place where you're really hanging out with the top one or two percent, and you're flying in private jets, and limos pick you up, and you stay in five-star hotels, and you get little pajamas on the plane, and you get a bed when you go to London on the plane, it's very cool. And all of a sudden, what starts to happen is, it's very easy to lose your center, right? So um, I, I got a little bit carried away, and um, I think I, I became, a, I would say, a selfish, sort of selfish, self-centered, very self-reliant, very independent, very confident, and um, I was raised to be um, smart and strong, so in some ways I felt like I was just living into my destiny, but I really got disconnected from the things that are important. So getting back to this idea of what is important, and I don't know how to get my slide back. Okay, this idea of giving who you really are. Um, I hit the wall in 2010, and I was one of those people that was never sick, and in 2010 I um, had an inflamed pancreas after a very nice trip to Mexico, and I was hospitalized, and while I was there they diagnosed me as having breast cancer, so it was kind of a big whack. And um, while I was in there I had feeding tubes and all kinds of drugs, and I'm in my hospital bed. I, I usually have a picture of it, but I'm laying there with my MacBook Pro in my lap and my headphones on, trying to reassure my clients that I'm perfectly capable of delivering exceptional service, and this will only be a minor blip in what's really going on. And um, God basically said, you know, that's it. No, I didn't, you know, I didn't, we didn't give you this big brain and this big mouth so that you could just be a rock star and glorify yourself. I have other plans for you. I want you to work with women. And I was like, wow, this has got to be drugs. <laughs> I don't know how many of you know this, but at the time, financial services, you, you know, you could like, you could probably run through 17,000 firms and find two women. I mean, it wasn't a place they hung out. And for me, we moved like eight times between the time I was in kindergarten and the time I got out of high school. Um, and what I would suggest to you is my experience was that um, hanging out with men when you're smart and you're athletic, that's fun, it's predictable. You know how they're going to behave. Trying to fit in with women with eight moves and you're the new kid over and over and over and over, I would say I became somewhat distrustful that women were actually who they appeared to be and that <laughs> men were a little bit simpler to me. So. <laughs> anyway, I said, God, if this is you, we'll, we'll give it a whirl. Um, so I switched gears, and um, the other piece of that was you have to let go of being the sophisticated expert. You have to let go of being the star. What I want you to do is to equip them, to serve them, to coach them, to mentor them. I want you to get off of the stage. I want you to sit quietly in the background, and I want you to help people find out what's inside them so that they can become the best that they are. 
okay, you know, we'll, we'll give that a try. So um, it's really about sharing who you are. And God does a lot of his work through us. And I'm going to make really three main points here. First, our minds and hearts can be integrated or disintegrated. So I've been really interested in how smart we are and how our brains change and how from a neuroscience perspective, when we become um, habituated at doing certain things certain ways and we want to transform or we want to do something differently, how does that actually work? And we try to do that in corporate America all the time, but the thing that's so awesome for Christians is we have scripture that tells us we can be renewed and be transformed by God renewing our minds, right? So it isn't some big change agent that has to come in and do this. We are actually transformed by the renewal of our minds. But we can have circumstances where our heart and our minds are disconnected. Does that make sense? Where what we're doing and how we're thinking isn't aligned with who we are or who he's created us to be. The second thing that's really important is my knowing, my being smart, my being right, my being amazing can really prevent me from being known. Because if I'm sufficient on my own, I do not need you or God. And then the third thing is, and I love that David said this, better together, right? Better together. God transforms generous hearts in community to and through others. So one of the things I figured out at this Enneagram training is that I'm an eight. And for those of you who don't know what that means, I'm an active controller. <laughs> I'm a mover and shaker. I like to be in charge. It's the way that I make my life, and occasionally the lives of others, work. <laughs> and the challenge for an eight is, the biggest fear that a mover and shaker has is vulnerability. Why don't we get up there and talk about your heart? Okay. So we can be integrated or disintegrated. And like I said, I've been really into this idea of neuroscience and how we think. And we are like systems, right? We are wired like systems. And above the line is the visible stuff. So when we're trying to get results, when we're trying to actually get results, if you move left, your actions are some things that generate results. We make choices that drive our actions. We set goals that create choices that drive our actions that create results. And that's all behavior, right? Has anybody ever seen strategic planning or tactical planning that looks like any of this? Absolutely, right? But underneath, underneath are all these ideas of perceptions and beliefs and assumptions and expectations. So when I see you do something, I may or may not actually know why you're doing it or what's going on. Does that make sense? So what are some perceptions that some of us might have? Some people might say women shouldn't be leading. Some people might say boys that are the middle child in a family should grow up and own a business um, and inherit it over their very bright sister. Um, <laughs> Some might say um, that, um, what are the more politically correct ones that I had written down? Uh, um, emotions are not okay, right? You be strong, and especially as a woman leader in public, don't you dare cry or show that anything moves you. 
Make sure you get to the bathroom before any of that happens. <laughs> so we know those things, right? And that habit wheel says, right, that once we've done something a bunch of times, practice makes, no, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. So the things that we repeat stay with us, and then they become very hard to change or to shift. So we can operate with perceptions and beliefs and assumptions under the line that are disintegrated or out of alignment with our hearts and our, 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 with our heads and our hearts. And what I would suggest to you as I got going in that big successful significance mode, um, I got really aligned, out of alignment with loving on my family, with living out my faith. You know, what was I chasing? Looking good, being perceived as successful, being an achiever, being accomplished, showing the boys that I could do it too. Good job. So, the second point is that knowing can actually prevent our being known. And I, I always, I've already made a little bit of reference to this. Knowing can prevent our being known. And I have um, this idea that it can be pretty easy to rely on my brain. I, I can really count on it. My heart can sometimes betray me. People hurt me. I cry sometimes in public. You know, I don't, I, I don't always have emotions that I'm super proud of. Sometimes I even get really angry. And this idea of being smart or being right becomes a barrier to me actually being known. I think it's kind of a big deal. Um, one of the guys that uh, I really love is a guy who's written a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. And he's talking about this idea of neuroscience and spirituality and what happens in our brains when we actually believe in, in God and that we're in a relationship with a God who loves us. Research that is valid and reliable as conducted by experts has become the standard by which we, by which we judge the trustworthiness of an idea. We even subject our experience of faith to research scrutiny in order to give it more weight apologetically. Trustworthiness of an idea, being right. And then compare that to scripture, and this is kind of a big deal. So I wrote on my card, trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. And since this talk is about my heart, it's interesting that the phrase that I just skipped right over and had to stick in is trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. How many times do we do that? We say, surely this cannot be right. I need to logically or rationally make sense of this. Right or known and loved. Our lives revolve around knowing in a manner that assures us we are right. We have failed to see that this need to be right, to be rationally orderly and correct, subtly but effectively prevents us from the experience of being known, of loving, and of being loved, which is the highest call of humanity. Certainly my experience. I didn't really have any women friends. I had useful men friends. And I had family who loved me because they have to. But I didn't really have people that were friends that loved me in an unconditional way. And I think 
when I think about this, a lot of it is my own fault. So what would it look like, what would it look like to be flourishing? Um, and for me, for me, I was called to do a testimony in Milwaukee in 2011 in the early, kind of the early days of women doing well. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You want me to get up and talk to women in the group? But you know, that's kind of what I'm supposed to be doing. So I tried to, I tried to actually do that. And at this session, um, they played, uh, they played Catherine's video with I Like Car. And I don't know, I was undone. I was like, how could anyone, how could, how could that, like, how could life be like that? And then I got invited to uh, a generous giving champions uh, gathering and Catherine was actually there and I got to meet her. And then I actually got to pray with her. And what I know about a flourishing heart is that it requires three things. The first one is that we have to stay in scripture. I didn't know enough about the word. I mean, I went to church my whole life, but I really wasn't embedded in the Bible. It wasn't a dynamic living thing in my life. The combination of a weekly Bible study and this little idea. My pastor asked me to run a six-week Lenten study, and I went, well, as long as it's only six weeks, how deep can you get in six weeks? I'll do six weeks. So my little group, they were like, oh, we love this. We want to keep going. I'm like, great. <laughs> how about this? How about I just write some devotions or I grab some devotions and I'll share them with you by email <laughs> and then we can text each other about how we feel. <laughs> how does that sound? And they were like, well, we'd rather meet. And I said, I'm thinking the devotions sound good to me. <laughs> so the cool thing there was I committed to doing it first thing in the day before I did anything else. So that, that was, that's been seven years. I still do it every day. And my little group of six is a lot bigger than it was. Don't call me. <laughs> um, and I don't have an unsubscribe, and I don't do it with a master Hootsuite mailing thing. I actually physically put them together every single morning. And it is beyond, it is beyond unbelievable. Like yesterday, it was about celebration. Yesterday's devotion was, come to the celebration. I mean, who does that? It has to be God, right? It's just so wonderful. Scripture makes my heart happy. And I get these little notes from people every day saying, oh, this was the perfect thing today. Here's how it impacted me. And sometimes I get notes from Catherine saying, I didn't get it today. Could you resend? <laughs> the second thing is this idea of persisting in prayer. And what ended up happening with the persisting in prayer is that, again, women at a celebration of generosity, invite me to be in a prayer group. I'm like, wow, I got invited to the prayer group with the women. And then we get on the call, and everybody else's life, these amazing Christian women, their lives are as messed up as mine. We spend a whole hour, I mean, we do say thank you a lot too and glorify God, but there's all this crisis. There's sickness, there's broken relationships, there's disappointing children, there's failure, there's tears, there's all this awful stuff. And it was so wonderful to see 
that God loves on us in the face of all this crisis and suffering, and that he's given us each other and prayer as a way to heal each other and connect with him. Unbelievable, unbelievable that I would be able to do that. And then thirdly, to just, you know, this morning they were praying over me and somebody said I had a titanium husk. And I, I like to think of it more like a chocolate Easter bunny with a marshmallow center. It's just a lot better. <laughs> but this idea that we can connect, right? We can connect in community, but we've got to give people access. So to flourish, scripture, prayer, and community are the ways in. So the third thing is that God transforms generous hearts, and this is the most important part, in community to and through others. In community to and through others. If we are to grow and thrive, we need to be rooted and grounded in love. We are literally to draw from the love of God and others to fuel our transformation and our fruit bearing. We cannot imagine putting a plant in a cardboard box in the garage and expecting it to blossom. The plant would not make it for very long. To grow, it must have sunlight, water, and nutrients. Scripture, prayer, and community. Scripture, prayer, and community. So last year at this time, I was at a different certification. I like assessments. They, you know, I, I hang out with a lot of smart people, and when you try to coach them, it's pretty... There's a lot of fluffiness even now to executive coaching, and the idea of an assessment is at least, at least some smart scientific researcher says that this is who you are, look. So I was, uh, in, I was in Park City, Utah, and it was a little boring, so I was looking out the window and it was just stunning. I mean, it was just beautiful and it looked something like this. And the guy that was running the program came up to me and he says, so Donna, what's happening? You seem a little distracted. I go, yeah, well, the pace is a touch slow, but, you know, it's good. It's good information. <laughs> so he says, you seem to be paying a lot of attention to the trees. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, they're just so stunning. And he says, aspen trees share a root system. It's all one root system. And if one tree is dying, all of the trees are dying, and if all the trees are flourishing, all the trees are flourishing. What a model for how we're called to be. We've got to live with a shared root system, and it's our hearts that God calls us to share with each other. Just an amazing metaphor for what we're called to do. Community changes minds. Community changes minds. So there's neuroscience around this that actually your brain is changed by love. Transformation requires a collaboration, a collaborative interaction with one person empathetically listening and responding to the other so that the speaker has the experience, perhaps for the first time, of feeling felt by another. How many people have been listened to incredibly well by someone else? Isn't that the most amazing thing? I thought I needed to get all these credentials to be a good coach. What breaks my heart is I could be a lamppost. People 
just having the ability for someone to sit there and listen to what's going on inside them is an unbelievable gift. Most of us are running around isolated, alone, carrying on thoughts inside of our own heads, and we don't feel heard. The interpersonal interaction exposes these functions of the mind and facilitates the integration of various layers of neural structures and brain systems, which in turn create new neural networks, which apparently the Holy Spirit shared with Eugene Cho last night because he spoke of synapses, remember that? And so this whole idea that our brains can change, that love can change our brains. I love this. I don't need to read this to you, but I'm gonna anyway. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So Hebrews has a whole history of the heroes of the faith. And on the next slide, I'm gonna show you my heroes of a generous heart. For me, Women Doing Well has created an amazing space for God to love on me through women who have been willing to share their hearts with me. And it's not just women, and in the middle, that's my dad, he's 90. And we've just lost my husband's dad, and he's the same age. So in the last month, we've gone and redone the, you know, looked at the estate plan and checked everything out because it freaked my dad out. Um, he is the one that has told me I could do anything. You don't have to stay a kindergarten teacher. You don't have to practice law. You can go into investments. Oh, you want to do leadership? You can do leadership, Donna. You can do anything. But these are my women. They've shared hospitality with me. They know I like a Diet Coke in the morning. And they pray with me. And they send me little emojis all the time. And they say little heart hands. And they send little pink and green and yellow hearts. And, and they send smiley faces that say, we miss you and we love you. And in the lower right-hand corner, I'm not big on um, image, but they do girl things with me, like shop. And it's really actually even fun. And the most important thing, the most important thing that they do is they love me just the way I am. One of the most evil ones of all of them invited me to a secret girl weekend, which I thought was just going to be Epicurean, you know, just experiencing good, fun stuff. And we sit down, and four of us are in a little cross-like structure. I should have gotten the hint right away. And the person, the evil person who con contrived this idea says, we're each going to write on little index cards what we love most about each other <laughs> and what we treasure, and then we're going to share that. And I went, 
No, we're not. I'm getting on a plane. If I had known this is what we were doing, I would not have come. So she says, I will go first. <laughs> like, you're not paying attention to me. I keep the cards by my nightstand, and when I start feeling alone or afraid or like even maybe sometimes that God can't hear me, I pick up those cards. The first thing on my card says, wicked smart. <laughs> Not that that's the thing that helps me, but I do like it. <laughs> so getting back to this slide, you know, this idea that God does the work on the bottom half. God does the work on the God bottom half. We have to live integrated lives where our hearts and our minds are connected and they're aligned and they're operating as one. When I got out of alignment, I got sick and God had a chat with me and he put things back the way that they were supposed to be. The second thing was this idea that you have to be known and that being really, really smart or being right or having to be the expert can keep you from being known and loved at your core and being part of that shared root system. And then lastly, this idea that we have to do it in community. I'm so used to being a rock star on my own. You know, that whole lone wolf thing is a big deal. Or, you know, the view is always the same to everybody but the front dog on the dog sled. You know, there's a sense, <laughs> there's this sense, especially for women, that there's only one spot, right? And we all have to fight for the one spot. It's just not true. It's just not true. There's a whole lot more medals when we do the right thing. Sustainable generosity isn't about giving what you have, but giving who you really are to God and to others. God gives it to us, and he gives it through us to others. He gives it to you, and he gives it through you to me. And then he is glorified because we are doing to and through together. So these are my peeps. This was in West Palm Beach. And what's amazing about that is a couple things, that I'm actually standing in a group of all women. Now, some of you might be going, oh, man, it's just more pictures of all women. Can you understand that for me to be in a picture and smiling and being in a group with all women is a really big deal, that I would be okay there? And look, they're even smiling. We're happy. I want all of us to be able to be who or what God has called you to be because each one of you in this room, that real self of yours, he did not create anyone else, no one else to be just like you. And for every moment you spend trying to be like your brother or trying to impress your dad or trying to make your mom happy, and not really showing up as you. Every time you're not a friend, every time you don't step out of your comfort zone, 
and maybe leave being a rock star tax attorney and move into serving as a coach. If you don't do those things, they won't get done in the world. One of the things I love about the slide that I showed you a second ago that I, I love thinking about is that even though my dad is 90, this is not a finite life we share. These are people that I will do eternity with. That rocks. My two-word purpose statement is liberating uniqueness. I didn't create you, but I definitely want you set free to let that inside of you that God put in there out so that whoever needs to be the to and through you gets to be toed and through to someone else. Does that make sense? So, in closing, I was listening last night to uh, Brennan Manning. I, you know, I just love that. When he says, you know, that God's really just going to ask us one thing, you know, do you believe that I love you? How many times have you heard that already? You heard it from Eugene Cho. Do you believe that I love you? And here's what else he says. You are only going to be as big as your concept of God. God invites us to share our real selves in a real way. And if we do that, we can sustain generosity. It isn't that money doesn't matter or that treasures don't matter or that time doesn't matter. It's that the fuel underneath all of that is you. It's the stuff, that magical Holy Spirit stuff that dwells inside you that he wants to come out of you. And when it's engaged and ignited, it looks a lot like generous joy. So I ask you to accept his invitation and to be and share who you authentically are. Thank you.